Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, October 26th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we talk income tax and COVID vaccinations with Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. Then a look at charter schools in the state. And the Clinton School District's pon- District ponies up to incentivize vaccines for teachers. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Today, we return to our conversation with Mississippi Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. Hoseman is a Republican. He previously served as Mississippi Secretary of State from 2008 to 2020. Our conversation starts off with income tax elimination. Well, the House has proposed uh, uh, basically a swap arrangement where they raise uh, taxes from 7 to 9.5% on sales on uh, tractors and uh, mobile homes and uh, several others. I think they backed off some of those uh, later in the, in the legislation, but basically some raising of taxes on some groups and lowering of taxes on other that would eventually over, a, I don't know, probably a 10 year phase out the person uh, phase out the personal income tax. The Senate has taken a more measured approach to this. We had two days of hearings. Uh, I talked to Senator Harkins, who's leading it for us on our side from Rankin County yesterday about this. And he's formulating some plans for an income tax reduction. All of us don't want anybody to pay taxes that don't have to, of course. And so I think there's a commonality of interest between the House and the Senate that we would lower the income tax on Mississippian and working Mississippians particularly. And uh, there's less of an appetite in the House, I mean, in the Senate side, for increasing anyone's taxes uh, to offset that. So we'll go through the legislative process. I anticipate there will be a tax bill this year, and it will lower taxes. And I want to lower taxes for everybody, not not just necessarily one group or another. So I, I think we'll have a good bill this year. Income tax generates 
about 32% of the state's revenue. And if taxes weren't raised with the elimination or the reduction of income tax, wouldn't that affect, for instance, school funding? Wouldn't that be a dramatic change? No. And uh, we're not going to uh, put ourselves in a position of, of eliminating education, the education component. In fact, you will see us again after we raised uh, raised uh, teacher salaries last year. You will see us again raising them this year. Uh, you will see a uh, school restoration fund where we can help uh, make sure our buildings are sound for our kids. They're not sitting there with water dripping on their heads or whatever. You'll see us promoting uh, nine week on and three week off, sometimes called referred to as year round schooling. Those kinds of issues will come up and we intend to support them. So we're I'm, I'm very pleased that I will have a very strong education plan. The income tax reversals typically are taken uh, out of growth as we as the uh, you know, it used to be like the state back during Governor Bryant's time took in like four point five billion and then this last year we took in like five point six billion. So there's an inflation growth in there where you can you know, where you can take funds out of uh, out of a growth prospect for lower income taxes versus having to mitigate any critical thing like education. Education is uh, gonna about be receive more support this year than maybe they have in a very, very long time. You've been a strong advocate for vaccinations. It has been a volatile issue, not just here, but around the country. Have you gotten any pushback from your stance in advocacy of vaccinations? No, ma'am. And my, my stance, you know, first of all, for full disclosure, I had COVID and uh, I had a serious case of COVID just flattened me. And it was early on and we didn't have many of the things that they have now to minimize the effects. I did not have those. And so I, I am vaccinated and I did take the booster. Uh, so I, I, I'm full disclosure with people, with everyone. And my position is and, and will remain that, that if you have talked to your doctor and medical provider and that you, uh, he believes that you or she believes that you're eligible, you should take the vaccine. Ending federal unemployment payments early didn't have the expected result. People are slow to go back to work. Is this simply a matter of raising wages to get people back to work, or is there more to it, more the state can do? This is a very difficult, and I've, I've met with uh, manufacturers as late as yesterday again and other businesses around the state in a con- on a continuing basis. There are exceptional labor shortages here. So why is that? Mississippi has a 55% labor participation rate. The national average is about 61 or 2 why do we have people who are eligible from from 16 to 64 that are not working? And clearly, my question always is, all right, how much are you paying them? The, the company last night was paying $19.33 to start, plus health insurance and a 401k plan that they match. Others, like one concrete company, was paying $67,000 plus health insurance and a retirement plan to drive a concrete truck. The fact of the matter is the minimum wage uh, of $15 is has long been surpassed in Mississippi uh, industry and companies. Uh, we're way past that. And so we're, we're now seeing that the economics of this. And strangely enough, even with these rising dollar numbers, we're not attracting sufficient people to come work 
wherever it happens to be. Yesterday happened to be a furniture manufacturer. And I, but I've talked to distribution groups and people who, who distribute soft drinks and things like that and uh, can't find people to, to come even though they keep raising rates. And one even told me I can raise all the rates I want, but I'm just raising it to my current people because I can't get anybody to come take the shortage. There is some issue here that that dollars are not completely solving. And I'm hopeful that that is technical training. As you know, we uh, we started we took the SWIB board to seven people and we hired a workforce, R. Ryan Miller, and we'll have a number of workforce training initiatives starting next year. And I'm hopeful that it will be people that will get interested in, in upgrading or taking a new position that they haven't been trained for before to make a higher economic list. So we'll, we're going to push on the dollar part of it, but um, some of this is personal. I mean, people got to want to go, go to work. There are plenty of jobs out here. If you want to work, you can get a job in Mississippi. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman, thank you for spending some time with us this morning. Oh, that's good. I'm glad we got through. That's a whole list of things. We got a whole <laughs> session. So, Indeed. We, are, we intend to move Mississippi forward. There are no sacred cows here this year, and uh, we are looking at core competencies for agencies. We're looking at why agencies uh, even exist. What are they doing? Are they accomplishing their missions? We're looking at our training through our workforce czar. Uh, we're going to expand uh, money for the individuals who stand in front of our children, which is the future of Mississippi. Those people need to be rewarded to where they're teaching uh, because they want to and not making an economic decision not to. There are a lot of things. I know there will be an infrastructure bill this year, regardless of what the national infrastructure bill does. If they do come in, that would be great. If they don't, we're still going to do infrastructure this year. So there are a number of positive things you will see coming out of the Senate side, and I think out of the House side as well. Coming up, a look at charter schools in the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. This September, the Mississippi Charter School Authorizer Board declined to greenlight any new charters in the state. We spoke then with Rachel Cantor of education nonprofit Mississippi First. She told us she believes dysfunction and apathy within the board itself drives quality charter operators away from Mississippi. When they call me or when they call a school and ask that question, what is it like to work with the Mississippi Charter School Authorizer Board? The honest answer at this moment in time is that it's not great. Today, we're joined by Lisa Karmacharya, who is the executive director of the Authorizer Board. Our conversation starts simple. What is a charter school anyway? A charter school is a public school, very much accountable, accountable to uh, a lot of the same statutes and requirements that a traditional school is, but they have some flexibility. They have some autonomy, and in particular, they are not bound by state procurement laws. They have flexibility around who they hire. They don't. They are not bound by the same percentage in terms of um, their teachers being certified and um, holding the appropriate license whenever they're serving the children. So our schools, our LEAs, have uh, some flexibility around that. So they have 
75% of their teachers have to be certified and licensed in that area where they're teaching. And then in the traditional public schools, it's much higher than that. They have flexibility, of course, around their school model. They can design their school to operate and serve uh, whatever population that they want to serve in terms of maybe they want to serve um, kiddos in grades kindergarten through five, and they want to focus their school model on music. And maybe they want to focus their, or maybe they want to focus their school model on the arts in general. So they have a lot of flexibility on how they design and operate. Do they have to accept children that want to go to that school? Yes, we have open enrollment. All of our schools are open enrollment, and our uh, charter schools are also bound to wherever they serve children. So if they are located in the Jackson Public School District, then 80% of their special needs population have to reflect that of the district in which they're located. What is the authorizer board charged with? What's their job? The job of the charter school authorizer board is to do a couple of things. One, it is to approve and or deny high-quality charter school applicants when they come through the cycle, right? So our number one mission is to improve access for children um, throughout the state in areas where um, there are opportunities for a charter school to operate and serve children, especially children who are um, come from underserved populations, typically underserved. So that's, that's actually our mission and our goal and our purpose, as well as to provide oversight and accountability for the schools who are operating. The Mississippi Charter Schools Act of 2013, that's what set it all in motion. Currently, what, seven schools in operation? That's correct. There are seven schools operating right now, and then we have two that will open in the fall of 2022, so a year from now. Those schools are in pre-opening. Where are the schools that are in operation? So we have um, five in the Jackson area, and then we have one in Greenwood and one in Clarksdale. That's the seven, and then we will open one in Canton and one in North Jackson. The seven schools have not done so well grade-wise, Fs and Ds. Do you chalk this up to growing pains, or are there inherent problems there? I think that if you look at the at the growth of the charter sector um, and the the grades that are served, those schools that are in the accountability model and that have been an F or a D in the past, the latest data that we have was from 2019, actual data. Those schools were improving over time. And so you can see that in our annual report when we do a propensity score matching and we look at our students compared to those students in the district in which they're located, you can see that there is growth over time. And in fact, in 2019, Reimagine Prep outperformed 300 plus uh, traditional schools in the state of Mississippi and Midtown outperformed over 100 and had the highest growth in the state of Mississippi. So we are confident that that they are growing over time and that's what you expect in the charter sector. You expect them, they take the some of the most, um, you know, maybe, well they're, they're coming from DNF districts so these are not going to be typically the children who have been the highest performing kiddos in that particular district. So they're going to come in with um, some catch-up work to do, and our charter schools are doing an outstanding job of providing that high-quality um, educational opportunity for them. 
Lisa, when the legislature passed the act, they must have thought there would be more schools by now. Do you recruit? Do you get out there and and encourage (laughs) companies to apply? Bring in your schools. Let's do this. Yes, yes, actually we do. Um, And in fact, we have a request for proposal out right now for just that kind of support. Let me say, our office is lean and mean. We are a small staff. I have myself and two others that work with me, one that we just hired and just started. So it has been for the past nine months, just two of us in the office operating to do everything it takes to run not only a state agency, but to provide oversight and accountability to our current schools, as well as recruit and, um, and you know, encourage other applicants to come to the state. So in answer to your question, yes, we do. And we have made a very um, deliberate attempt to do that in terms of recruitment, as well as provide technical assistance to those who do apply. And we're hopeful that on October the 25th, we get a, a really solid um, RFP in in a request or proposal in from um, several different people who will be interested in providing some additional support around recruitment of high-quality applicants. Does the fact that no schools were approved this year speak to the quality of the application or the uh, company that wants to set up the school or the criteria established by the board? In this case, uh, I am comfortable in the fact that the quality of the applicants that we had in this cycle were, were really not up to par. They were not where they needed to be. That's not to say that they won't be ready in a year or so. I do, do not believe that this has anything to do with the law the way it's written, um, but I would say that going forward we are looking at our criteria. Our criteria has to align to the state law. The application uh, components are actually written into the law. Those are important nationally framed standards and criteria um, that are written into the law. The rubric itself, which the evaluators look at when they're reviewing the applications, that is an area that we are going to look at. Um, You know, we want schools to flourish in Mississippi. The authorizer board wants to see um, the charter community grow and be strong because we want to ensure that families um, have quality options. Um, That's incredibly important to us as a board um, that we are in a position to approve high-quality applicants. And we do, I will say, um, an outstanding job with our technical assistance that we provide for for those applicants as they go throughout the cycle. Lisa Karmacharya is the executive director of Mississippi's Charter School Authorizer Board. Coming up, cash for vaccinations in the Mississippi school district. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. A looming deadline leads the Mississippi College Board to vote in favor of following the COVID-19 federal vaccination mandate. It happened at an emergency meeting yesterday. The decision means some employees at universities with federal contracts must be vaccinated. And the deadline for employees to receive their second shot is by November 24th. Van Gillespie is with the board's legal affairs staff. 
that all of the employees that come on your campus or work on your campus have to get the vaccine unless they meet one of the um, criteria that's also in the guidelines related to you have like for a medical reason, you should not get the vaccine, some disability. The board says state universities have 120 federal contracts worth $271 million. The vote was nine to three. The Clinton K-12 public school district is now offering a cash incentive to teachers and other staff members who get vaccinated. Robert Chapman is the district's public information officer. He speaks with Michael Guidry. The intent of this program is aimed at mitigating other expenses to the district, you know, expenses like substitute pay, things that cannot be labeled financially like um, missed work days and then instruction to our students because employees are out because they're having to be quarantined because of possible exposure. And then through this, it kind of provides for the continuation of these services to reduced interruptions to district district operations. So it's, it's a small, uh, a small price to pay. It's very, it's not much. It doesn't, you know, it's not going to make or break the bank, but it's just a small incentive to keep our teachers inside the classroom and keep instruction going in the Clinton public school district. So how much is the incentive for for district employees and kind of how did you come to the the conclusion uh, that it was in the financial interest of the district to say, teachers, here's some here's a little extra for for being vaccinated to help us on the back end with to to help mitigate any other potential costs that for, you know, that extended app like leave or or other things might might present. Right. Um, uh, district employees uh, are incentivized with $325. Uh, this number was chosen by our financial director after looking at certain expenses to see where it would land and all that. And, and it's really not to minimize it, but it's just a, a small drop in the bucket when you look at the, the numbers that show up when we have to provide uh, substitute pay. You know, $325 for a teacher is nowhere near what we would pay for substitutes. Uh, across the board, and and again, uh, looking fi- looking at the, the intangibles, you can't replace a teacher inside the classroom. Uh, and when these uh, instructional days are very valuable, three hundred twenty-five dollars is is just a uh, like I said, it's just a small incentive to try to keep teachers there, uh, so that we can continue to educate students. So the incentive goes into November, November nineteenth, I believe you said. What's the early response? Are, are, are teachers responding? Are they are they asking questions about how to uh, how to receive this if they have been vaccinated? What's kind of the protocol for your district? Yeah, uh, teachers are responding well. You know, we have a we already have a high percentage of uh, vaccination amongst our staff. Uh, I believe uh, this is nowhere near hard numbers, but I believe we're somewhere around eighty percent, maybe across the district. Uh, so. Anybody, it's it's kind of a prorated thing. If if you can prove with your vaccination card that you've you know been fully vaccinated, it, it'll go back. If you decided to get this this, uh, this vaccine earlier, uh, which you know many did prior to the beginning of summer break, you just show your vaccination card and and get that to uh, the proper people inside their campuses, which will get it to central office, and that will come to them financially. Um, those that are not vaccinated, you know, there has been a little bit of, of emails back and forth to their administrators asking certain questions, you know, just 
nothing having to do with the legal aspect of it, but just kind of, you know, personal in the nature of, you know, help me walk through this. This is this is the decision that I'm making. Do you understand X? Do I understand Y? Just just the basic kind of questions like that. But so far, we've gotten a, a positive feed, a good bit of positive feedback from our uh, teachers across the district. Robert Chapman is public information officer for the Clinton Public School District. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.